We're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth. This episode is brought to you by Impulse Creative. I'm Jackie, and if you want to see real results and work with great humans to grow your business, then Impulse Creative is your agency, and I'm your contact. Reach out to me through our website, impulsecreative.com today, and let's chart your course for growth. From a website that will get results to helping implement a marketing strategy, we're here to help your business grow. Welcome, Wayfinders. I'm Remington. Hey, I'm Dan. It is so good that you are joining us today because on this episode, we kick off 2020 with our third season of Wayfinding Growth. Can you believe it? It's kind of crazy, like numero trio. Numero trio. (laughs) Well, we wanted to kick this off right with a book release from one of the most popular guys in the inbound and content marketing space, David Meerman Scott. He has just released his 11th book. Uh, It's a collaboration with his daughter, Reiko Scott. And fanocracy is what it's called. And it promises to help you turn fans into customers and customers into fans. It talks about fandom. It is absolutely awesome. I really enjoyed this read. Um, Remington, what did you get out of this episode that you hope people walk away with? Um, a lot. So yeah. like you're just going to have to listen to it. But, um, but no, I think one of the big things that he talked about was, um, was you know, as we dig in um, to the episode, you're going to hear him talk about like timing and being in the right place at the right time. Um, He's excited about this book and it's awesome, but it takes a certain, like five years he's been working on this. Mm. So, so the, the, you know, he talked about patterns, which I know you're going to hit on, but like the pattern was five years ago. And right now it seems like great timing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was huge. The big thing was uh, he talked about, was it Oahu? Oh, the, the yeah. waves. Yeah. yeah the, the waves on Oahu, um, on the North shore. And he was talking about the, you know, when the, the local gave him the wave and how that was given with nothing in return, but I could not help but to think about the fact that there was respect given without anything expected in return. And that is really what unlocked that wave that he could take. So I thought that was really neat. Um, and then the, not the final thing, but the final thing I'll say is the fact that, the adversarial relationship that starts with marketing and not really thinking about phenocracy um, starts the relationship off on the wrong foot um, in a lot of cases. And so to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff for, for wayfinders to think about and for entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, whoever yeah. to just kind of think about their company and how that all plays into it. And I love your perspective on catching the wave. Cause I, I thought about that when I was reading it, I was like, well, yeah, the, the Hawaiian gave you the wave, but you gave it to him first. And so it's this really symbiotic relationship that fandom creates. Um, my biggest takeaway was when we asked him uh, towards the end of the conversation, he talked about uh, patterns and perspective. And, and the thing that I wrote down the way, the way I said it in my mind, he didn't say this, but I, I heard it from what he said was, put your unique perspective into patterns and turn that into your next big idea. Mm. And part of what I love about it is that he also went into not just entrepreneurs, that's your next big idea. But if you're within a company, it can be your, your big idea in the company as a business owner, as a whatever. And it was just like, we all have those perspectives and there are patterns in the world that we can see differently than other people. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, Yeah. What a great conversation, man. Well, and that, you know, to that point, also realize it could take you five years. 
Mm. Like I, I was really blown away. Like, you know, you hear about people writing books and you're like, man, I wish I could write a book. And you start to like hold yourself accountable to trying to finish a book this year or create a book this year. And then suddenly you're like, wait, people can take five years to write a book. That takes a certain amount of dedication too. So, yeah. Um, and, and how cool, yeah. like, um, penguin, he said the, the, the publisher, um, yeah. Penguin Random House, like that, that he had to go shop around for that. He didn't say that in our conversation today, but I've talked to him before. Yeah. Like he's been with Wiley, I, I would think with other books, yeah. he's, he's self-published. This one took a whole different route. So at those writers, authors, you never know where it's going to go. So yeah, great yeah. conversation. Yeah. Very so cool. Awesome. All right, my friends, here it is. Season three, episode one. Let's set that course for growth. Welcome, David. Let's start the course, your new book, Fanocracy, um, and give listeners a quick overview. So the idea of fanocracy, um, the word comes from like democracy, where democracy is the rule of people. Um, fanocracy is the rule of the fans. And the whole idea with fanocracy is that um, we recognized uh, my co-author and daughter and I co uh, recognized that the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications. Today's world is so polarized with people crying fake news and people doubling down on sending yet another email message or connecting on LinkedIn trying to sell you something or um, gosh, you don't even know sometimes if you're communi communicating with a robot online these days. And I think we're ready to shift back the pendulum is swinging back to a true human connection. And a phenocracy is when an organization develops extreme passion for a product, a brand, or an idea, or a company by putting customers first, by putting human relationships first. And uh, it's been an exciting thing to research and write over the past, past five years um, with my 26-year-old daughter. That's so amazing. Five years. That's amazing. Five years of research. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the thing about that, Dan, is, um, as you know, because you and I have been connected for quite some time now, um, I, I'm best known for being somebody who's focused on digital marketing. You have this book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR, among others. But The New Rules of Marketing and PR has now in the sixth edition. I actually just finished up the seventh edition. It's going to be out uh, in the next year or so. Awesome. And um, it's in it's in four. It's been uh, sold for four hundred thousand copies in English, and it's in twenty nine languages. So, it's um, you know it's arguably the best selling book about digital marketing on the planet. And so I was known for that. Yet I was seeing. By talking to people and seeing myself and, and speaking with a whole bunch of different um, organizations and individuals that the thing that I helped to birth <laughs> this digital marketing thing, people had started to abuse the channel and some people abusing it in a big way. And so I really wanted to figure out how you can engage with people in a much more human way. And it wasn't easy to come up with exactly what a prescription for that is, which is why it took five years to research and write. And then me being a middle-aged white guy uh, who loves the Grateful Dead, I wanted to, to have another perspective. So I have my um, millennial mixed race, Harry Potter loving neuroscientist daughter as my co-author. Uh, That's so crazy. Um, so it's awesome. a, a very um, awesome um, sort of um, 
bringing together of two generations, two genders, so, uh, one and a half races, um, <laughs> uh, different um, perspectives on life, on the world, uh, and on what we're a fan of and how we interact with the things that we're a fan of um, uh, to come up with this concept of fanocracy. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and how cool that you wrote it with your daughter. Reiko has got such a great voice. Um, I was just about to say that. She's a better writer fantastic. than she's a better writer than me. <laughs> and that means you you did good. That's it right. means you did good. So David, in, in fanocracy, you talk about how you can build those those fan those fans through experience. You just talked about your experience with like the Grateful Dead, Reiko's experience with Harry Potter. Um, and so that's perfect for this season of Wayfinding Growth. Um, our theme is kind of experience in a way and, and our, our experiences out there. So, so I loved how you shared your Oahu surfing story on the North Shore in chapter six, which is uh, give more than you have to. And then your other chapter also breaking uh, down barriers. Those both talk about experience without naming experience per se. So, so let's talk about both of those chapters, how experience builds that fan base. What have you seen in your experience, in, in your experience yeah. in the last few years? Well, first of all, just as a, as a big picture, as we were um, doing our research on how and why people become fans of something, um, we looked at a huge variety of what people are a fan of, whether it's uh, a sports team that they like to watch um, or a sport they like to play. Mm -hmm. uh, we looked at, um, we interviewed the world number one triathlete, a woman triathlete. We, and, uh, so we, and we interviewed musicians and we interviewed people who love to listen to music. We interviewed um, all kinds of people. My daughter being a huge Harry Potter fan, her friends and she who loved to get dressed up in cosplay at Comic-Con, you know, I'm a huge Grateful Dead nerd. I'm a, an Apollo lunar um, missions nerd as well. And what we looked at was what are some of the themes that bind these different fandoms? And we also talked to some neuroscientists about what's going on in our brains. And basically what it all boils down to is that yes, you love those things. You know, I love going to a Grateful Dead concert, but what is really at the heart of it is that it's the human connection that we have with people who like to do the same thing. Um, and the human connection that we have with the organizations or the people who are creating something for us, and I'll use your word experience, creating an experience for us. Um, and so um, that's at the heart of fandom is a genuine human connection, um, which was a surprising revelation, actually, because, you know, the theme of what what is a thread that binds Harry Potter and the Boston Red Sox and the Grateful Dead and NASCAR and all of these different things is that it's people coming together uh, to do the things that they love and having interactions with other like-minded people and sharing the secret language and the codes and the, um, and the, uh, the different um, elements of what goes into that fandom. So you asked about surfing. I, am, uh, I love surfing. I actually have a surfboard right here. I'll show it to you. Um, it's a grain surfboard that I actually made. And we'll talk oh, about man. that in a moment. That's awesome. But, um, 
I love to surf and I'm not very good at it. And I had a chance to go to the North shore of Oahu in Hawaii, which is like the center of the surfing universe. It is where like the big contests are held. It's where some of the most famous waves like pipeline is located. And I, I just wanted to surf the North shore. So I found a, you know, a quieter kind of not so popular, not so big, a little bit off the beaten path wave. And, um, and I wanted to, to try my hand at surfing the North shore. And I went out there and paddled out and there were probably a dozen or so people, other people out there. So it wasn't incredibly crowded, but I also didn't have the wave to myself. And I knew enough about the North shore that the last thing you do is go out there and, and be a, um, be an idiot and just jump on waves and, and take them from other surfers. So I just hung back. And I hung back and I hung back and I was in the water for 20 minutes. I hadn't even taken a wave yet. Mm. And then a couple of waves came through and, and everybody in the lineup except for me got a wave. So I was like, oh, sh oh, great. Now I can get the next wave because there's no one else waiting. So I took a wave and I, you know, I did okay. I didn't fall down, but it wasn't, it was kind of ugly. Um, but I, sur I, I did it. I surfed the North, North Shore, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And then I, I paddled back out with a smile on my face and I hung out and I waited and I waited and I waited and I, you know, I just let all the Hawaiians take their waves. I wasn't going to, you know, this was their home beach. This was their home wave. I wasn't going to elbow my way in as, um, uh, as an interloper. So, but then something remarkable happened because one of the Hawaiians who's obviously was in the right position to catch the wave and should have taken it, you know, sort of gave me a look in the eyes and nodded as if this is your wave, mate. <laughs> so I, wow, that's crazy. So I, I paddled my butt off and um, ended up catching the wave. And because it was big enough that the wave was higher than me, they weren't able to see my terrible style as I was surfing. <laughs> but, um, but I, but it was a really memorable moment because, um, because I was given a wave that I didn't deserve by a Hawaiian who surfs there all the time. And I didn't make an utter fool out of myself. And so this concept of giving more than you have to, that made me a fan of Hawaii and the North Shore and surfing in Hawaii. Awesome. Um, and the idea of giving more than you have to um, you know, originally I, I thought of that concept really from the Grateful Dead because they allowed fans to record their concerts. Every other band said no on the ticket. It said no recording allowed. Mm -hmm. The Grateful Dead said, sure, why not? And you could bring in your recording gear and microphones and tape equipment, the whole thing. Um, they started doing that 40 years ago. And originally people recorded cassette tapes and then later on MP3 files. And it helped to make them one of the most popular bands uh, in history because people wanted to go and experience the shows for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that experience, as you know, words that you guys use of um, giving more than you have to, to build fans is a really powerful tool and technique. And I, and I sure. love, I lo by the way, the other one of the, one of your eleven books, "Marking Lessons from the Grateful Dead," pretty pretty quick read, I would say. Um, yeah, it is. That, um, that I, lays all that we out. Wanted really to, well. We wanted that book to be a coast to coast airplane read that you could still read the book and take a nap doing a coast to coast flight. <laughs> yep, that, yep, that's about what it was. <laughs> I love that there's a strategy in that too. That's fantastic. <laughs> so if if a business is um, 
a business owner or an entrepreneur is hearing this and say, okay, yeah, I, I get it. The Grateful Dead did that, but that's just not my business. I don't, I don't put on concerts. I don't have, I'm not Hawaii where my, my uh, ambassadors are out there surfing with people. How, how does that building a fan base, giving more than, than what you have to help the everyday average business owner? So there's one, uh, one idea that's quite practical. And then just a general thought with an example. So the idea is very practical is that especially B2B companies, but all kinds of organizations um, uh, create content on the web, but then put gates in front of it. So the classic example is a B2B company that writes a white paper and then demands that there's a, um, e an email address before they give you the white paper. What that does is it sets up an adversarial relationship between uh, a, a somebody and a company because people are like, you know, why do I have to fill this out? And so many of them don't fill it out because they're afraid of getting spammed and afraid of getting phone calls if it requires a, a phone number and so on. And um, even if they do fill it out, they do it kind of in disgust. It's like, I can't believe that this company wants me to fill out my name and my company and how many kids I have and how much money I make. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but some of these forms are pretty, you know, pretty ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so um, as human beings, we're hardwired to appreciate somebody who gives us a gift with no expectation of anything in return. And the surfer that gave me the gift of a wave didn't expect anything in return because I wasn't surfing those waves. I was letting all the Hawaiians go whenever they wanted to. And I was just hanging out, hoping to get some scraps. Um, so that surfer gave me something without any expectation of anything in return. The Grateful Dead let people record their concerts, no expectation of anything in return. Of course, they wanted people to come to concerts, but that wasn't a demand. They didn't say buy me a, buy a concert ticket first, then we'll let you record the concerts. So um, just this simple idea of how you put your content out into the world and whether you demand um, somebody fill out a form before they get it is a form of this idea of building fans by giving a gift without anything expected in return. Um, something that digs even deeper as an example, which I absolutely love, is sometimes people say to me, yeah, but you know, we're not a rock band, um, you know, we're not waves, um, you know, what can I give away? And it turns out that if you think creatively, almost any organization can think about a way to give something away, even a commodity business. So. My favorite example of this concept comes from Duracell, the battery company, mm -hmm. and they have a, a program called Power Forward. And the Power Forward program uh, is um, a way to give away batteries completely for free to people who are victims of natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, um, fires, tornadoes, whatever, anything where the power goes out. So you imagine a natural disaster and the power goes out. The first thing that goes into high demand is batteries because mm -hmm. people, maybe they, 
they can find the flashlight, but this, the thing is dead because the batteries are dead. Or maybe the flashlight works for the first night, but the batteries are dead by the second night. And batteries always sell out in these situations. Now, Duracell could gouge people and sell their batteries for a lot of money, but it, they do the exact opposite. They actually have a team uh, called Power Forward. They're, they have five vehicles, four-wheel drive trucks and some other big like semi-trucks that carry a lot of batteries. And uh, for example, during Hurricane Maria down in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, they worked with FEMA and the U.S. Air Force. They loaded their vehicles onto an Air Force plane, flew them down to Puerto Rico, and gave away ton literally tons of batteries, tons mm -hmm. of batteries. And, um, and that was remarkable because they could have sold those batteries. They could have said, okay, you know, five bucks a pack, here are your batteries. But they gave them away completely for free. And they even have some four-wheel drive vehicles that were able to get into some small remote villages to give away batteries, even beyond the cities. And people loved it. And, and Duracell had so many people talking about them on social media, talking about them on videos, you know, talking about how wonderful they are to help them out in that way. And people remember that. So the gift of a $5 pack of batteries that cost Duracell, I don't know how much it costs Duracell to manufacture and ship them, but not very much, can turn somebody into a fan of Duracell for life. And then when they're in a store and they see five different brands of batteries, they're going to remember Duracell, even if it costs a couple of pennies more than the other brand. Yep. Um, and all of us have, every one of us has an opportunity to figure out some way to give away something in our business in, without anything, any expectation of anything in return in order to grow fans. I love that. So, so how do, how do you unpack that a bit and give almost like a navigational tool, if you will, for giving businesses, um, a direction in how to find that thing that might fit into giving more than they have to. So I would encourage people to take a look at um, what are the things that they're most known for? What are their core competencies? What do they want people to remember? So um, I was, uh, had a chance to interview Ramon, Ramon who is the um, uh, is the C CMO of Duracell, and he, we ta he talked about how they came up with the Power Forward program. And he said that within Duracell, they think of themselves as a power company. Mm. And, um, you know, they don't think of themselves as a battery company. They think of themselves as a power company. And so they named the program Power Forward. And then they realized that when there is no power is when their product is in most demand. And that's when it's best for them to consider giving something away. So I would encourage people to think about what is your true business? What is your core competency? What is the thing that you're truly the best at? And then when might that be in demand or when might be an opportunity to figure out a way to offer that in some way to benefit the universe. I say benefit the universe in kind of an airy fairy way, but, but, you know, can you donate to a nonprofit? Can you help people in need? Can you um, offer something for free? It can even be something digital, you know, um, a, a free guide to something 
um, that people would think has true value, not, not just some giveaway to, you know, to try to right. sell something, but something right. that has true value. Um, and creativity counts. And, you know, expect that in, inside the organization, there'll be pushback. You know, when Duracell says, we're going we're gonna to give away for free our product when it's in the most demand, you know for a fact, and, and Ramon actually yeah. confirmed, you know for a fact that there are going to be people in the organization who are going to say, what are you, crazy? This is when we should right. be selling these things. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, I actually, <laughs> yeah, I actually remember um, that the Duracell trucks coming down, Hurricane Irma down in oh, South really? Florida. Oh, you, um, you've actually seen them in action. Yeah, so we actually saw, we saw some of the semis coming down the highway. Um, they were going down towards Naples. Um, they truly those, give those away tons before. and tons and tons and tons yeah. of batteries. They, this is a really important program. And you remember yeah. it. And that was a long time ago, right? That hurricane? Yeah, that was two and a half. Yeah, two and a half years. Two and a half years ago, and you yeah. still remember that. So yep. how, and how powerful is that branding, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, is that worth that five bucks, as you were mentioning? A hundred percent. It is. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, I'll go. I actually was just thinking, I used to buy, I used to buy Energizer. Um, and now I don't remember a time that I have. Um, and it wasn't even intentional too. So it's really, really, really fun. Um, <laughs> so interesting. Really fun thing here too. It's fascinating. Yeah. So it's, guy, it's, it. <laughs> so it's give something away with no, with no expectation of getting anything in return. Okay. And yeah, then is it, is it, I mean, obviously it's okay, but like, how do you tell the story then? Do you just allow people to tell the story for you so that you're not bragging and saying, look, we did this. So buy our stuff. I mean, that's, yeah, so that's a good question. So um, generally, the best approach is to, again, no expectation of anything in return, um, allow people to tell the story for you. You know, in the case of Duracell, people are all over social media talking about them. But at the same time, they have a web page that talks about Power Forward, hmm. uh, um, Duracell. Um, they will post on social media. Um, you know, they'll shoot a video. Here we are down in Puerto Rico helping people out. So, but they don't do it in a, in a, in a, in a highly promotional way. They do it in a, a subtle kind of we're here to help way. Hmm. Uh, this episode not brought to you by Duracell, but it should be because that's <laughs> absolutely awesome. I love that. So David, this is, this is really good. And I want, I want listeners and, and viewers to to definitely pick up Fanocracy. It just came out, so get that. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit and get sure. kind of let's get kind of personal. Yeah. So you you mentioned you've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, the new rules of marketing and PR has been out for a long time. Uh, this is your eleventh book, so you've you've been around the block. And before being an author, you were in marketing and done so much. Looking back over your career, what's a big shipwreck in your personal journey of growth? Look, you can look back on it and think, man, I can't believe I survived that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually don't have anything that I would term as a shipwreck today because anything that felt like it was a shipwreck at the time ended up actually being uh, something incredibly positive as I look back on it. So let me give you an example. Amen. I've been, I've been yeah. fired three times. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is, but... Um, um, I, I, I'm, I get jobs without a problem, but I can't keep them. So, uh, um, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't figured that out, but whatever. Um, the first, the, the, 
the second time I lost my job, it was kind of difficult because I was living in Hong Kong. Um, I was married. I have I had a young daughter, um, Reiko, who's my co-author in the book. She was only two and a half at that time. And but I'm American citizen. My wife is Japanese. What in the hell do I do now? Do I try to find another job in Hong Kong? Do I move back to Japan, which is where I met my wife? Do I move back to my country, the USA? which is what I ended up doing. So it felt like a shipwreck, but it was a huge, at the time, it was felt like, it felt like a shipwreck, but it, it was a huge um, bonus. It was, a, it, it was um, a really important thing for me because I recognized that had I found another job in Hong Kong or had I continued to work for that company for a longer period of time, um, I might not have ever left Asia or Hong Kong and I would have been seen as a lifer doing the expat thing in Asia, and I wouldn't have ended up with the life that I have now. Um, and the same thing is true of when I got <laughs> fired a couple of years later, um, and I was working for a company called um, Thomson Reuters. The company I had been working for was acquired by Thomson Reuters, and this was 2002, mm-hmm. and it was uh, just a couple of months after 9-11, early 2002, and um, they let me go, and it was a terrible, terrible job market. And I didn't know uh, how, I, I was looking, I was a vice president of marketing at a part of Thomson Reuters. I was looking around for another vice president of marketing job, and there wasn't anything available. I'm like, what am I going to do now? Um, but it was great, because I couldn't find another vice president of marketing job. So I ended up going out on my own, starting to serve customers as a consultant, starting to write. I started my blog soon after that. I started writing my first book soon after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was really great because all of a sudden, my current career, which I've now been, this, that was 2002, so I've now been doing for, what is that, 17 years, um, uh, took off. And had I not lost my job, um, perhaps I would still be in the corporate world. And I probably would be still happy and still, you know, if you were doing this podcast and I was a corporate guy, I would, I would, have, I would be telling you I was happy. But, but I, it set me off on this particular career path, which, which I find to be um, uh, an amazing, amazing journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it for sure. That's, um, so I love that perspective. Um, and I can think of a few times, in fact, a couple episodes ago, we even talked about one-on-one about a couple of big things that happened in the agency that at the time were like sudden death. Like if you're playing a video game, like, yeah. right. And then now, <laughs> everything now goes is dark. <laughs> yeah. And like, now you're like, now looking back, I'm like, I couldn't imagine it any other way in the, in the most positive, yeah. in the most positive perspective, but that hindsight definitely helps um, after the fact, but it also gives a whole lot of hope when there's that friction. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, um, I, I'm a, I'm actually, I'm living in, I live in Boston. Um, I'll show you what it looks like here at this point while we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't live in California, but I have this perhaps California-esque idea that the universe gives back to you what you give to the universe. And uh, that, Amen. The, and that the uni- and that and that the universe does things for a purpose, and that um, you know when something negative happens, you lo- I lose my job or whatever, it's terrible, and I have to work through it. But there's always incredible positive things in something that's seemingly negative. So I try to look for those things, and um, generally they work out pretty well. For sure. So, so now let's take the inverse here. So talk to me about your proudest moment and maybe even what it taught you. Um, So you're asking me this um, 
in late 2019. And I, I think the idea of having written a book with one's daughter and having it come out from Penguin Random House, like the biggest publisher in New York is, it's, it's crazy cool. And even more than totally just, agree. even more than just saying that we've been able to do that is she's a better writer than I am. And, <laughs> and the idea of working with her has made me better. And, um, and it's been great for her. She, um, uh, she learned a lot about herself. I learned a lot about herself. It brought us closer together in many ways. And it's, um, it's been an overall really positive experience. Um, we had to learn to trust one another because, you know, prior to this, I was the dad, she was the daughter, you know. Yeah, we tried to have a relationship of equals, but it's hard when you're the dad and she's a daughter. And, um, and but with writing a co-authoring a book, you know, if she says, you know, this chapter sucks, you've got to rewrite it, <laughs> which she did um, a couple of times. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really great that she feels confident enough to be able to beat me up about stuff and that we could come together in such a way to create something that's, you know, way, way better than either one of us alone could have done. Hmm. Amazing stuff. I had a feeling that it fit right in, but that's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and if you had asked me that question, even just six months ago, I don't think that would have been my answer. That's awesome. That's even better. That gives me, I, I think for both of us, I mean, my daughters are, are younger. Um, Remington has a, a young son and, and one on the way. Wow. <laughs> Although I say on the way, but like at the time of this airing, I, I, yeah. I shouldn't say on the way yeah, anymore. Like, so, like, but impending impending like you know that sudden death like we're almost there <laughs> in the coming weeks. yeah well well and and so so reiko is 26 so you got to put in your your calendar i assume whatever calendar program you work you can fast forward 26 years yeah 26 years from now put in in your calendar um book written with new kid released <laughs> there you go I love um, it. Yeah, and you it. can always be thinking forward to 26 years from, from, from now to um, have something incredibly cool with, uh, with your new, um, uh, your new son or daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I love it. So David, if you could be that, that wayfinder for someone else, um, you know, we, we talked offline about what a wayfinder is for those listening. It's th like that, that navigational guide if you could be a wayfinder for someone else and give them one piece of advice, what would that biggest lasting legacy of advice you'd want to give to somebody? So the thing that's been so important in my life is that I'm con constantly on the lookout for patterns in the universe that I see that I don't think other people see. And then I want to know what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for other people and how might I be able to grab a hold of that pattern that I see and turn it into something really interesting. And, and I see patterns fairly frequently, um, but most of them don't pan out as being really big things or really important things, or th they turn out to be things that many other people have already thought about. But three times in my life, I've found patterns in the universe that were truly revolutionary. Um, the first time was about 
2003, 2004, 2005-ish. And the entire planet was talking about digital marketing as an advertising metaphor. You know, it's all about advertising. You know, you buy banner ads or you buy a, an email list and send out an email marketing message and so on. Uh, because the people who gravitated to digital marketing came from an advertising background. And um, wow, there's a cat behind you, Dan. I just, I just noticed that. <laughs> like, I didn't realize he was in my room with me. It's a, it's a lion. <laughs> um, and, and so um, I, I worked for 15 years in the real-time news business for companies like Dow Jones and Reuters. Uh, and so when I saw digital marketing, I saw a different metaphor. I saw a publishing metaphor because that's the background I had, a digital publishing background. And so I, in my mind, there was this big old massive, like, I don't even know what to call it. It was like a light just saying wrong, wrong, wrong to every single person who was talking about digital marketing at that time. I see you're all wrong. Every one of you is wrong. What's right is that digital marketing is about publishing content. And so I started to write about that. Um, I started writing about that in 2002, 2003, 2004. My first book on the subject came out in 2005, the very first book on the planet about um, what we now would call content marketing. Mm. Um, then the new rules of marketing and PR first came out in 2007. The second time that happened to me, the pattern of the universe um, was 10 years ago. And I recognized a couple of things were happening um, that were telling me the universe has a new pattern that no one else is seeing. The first thing is that Twitter started to become popular. The second thing is that Google started to index in real time. So I don't know if you remember, but more than 10 years ago, it took Google two or three months to index content. Mm -hmm. So if I wrote a blog post and pushed it out, no one would be able to see it Crickets. search engine <laughs> until three months later. But all of a sudden, Google figured out real-time search. And if I wrote a blog post, it was indexed instantly. And my mind, again, my, my real-time news mind was like, oh my God, this is like the most important thing Google has ever done. I still think it's the most important thing Google has ever done in their entire, mm -hmm. entire Google, Google, Google company for 20 whatever years it's been. And at the same time, Twitter is really popular, which is also real time and instant. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I, I was shouting to everyone who would listen, the, the world of digital marketing has gone real time. I wrote a book called Real-Time Marketing and PR. It's dated now, but at the time it was really revolutionary. Um, I invented a concept called newsjacking, the art, art and science of injecting your ideas into a news story. Um, and, um, and that was a huge thing around patterns in the universe. And the third time is with this new thing, fanocracy, where the pattern I was seeing, we talked about at the top of the show, is that digital has become too much too chaotic and too many people are exploiting the digital channel and the pattern is that the pendulum is swinging back to genuine human connections and growing fans and that's why i've been like harping and obsessing <laughs> about yeah. this idea because i feel like there's this whole pattern so there's a long way of answering your very simple question dan but <laughs> the wayfarer in me says um, to anybody listening that 
Um, we all see patterns like that. We all make sense of big pictures in the universe in our own ways. And, you know, sort of trust your instinct. If you're seeing something that other people aren't seeing, can you mm. turn that into a business? Can you turn that into a book? Can you turn that into a speech? Can you turn that into a new startup company? Can you turn that into a, a new initiative if you're an employee at the company you work for? Um, you know, can you take that interesting pattern in the universe and do something about it? The, the difference between me and most people is that I actually did the work to get those ideas into the world. Mm -hmm. Most people think, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that. I thought of that. I've had it. I thought of that, too. You know, it's like, well, great. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. But, you know, you didn't get it out there. Right. And so my wayfarer instinct is find that thing, test it, make sure it's real, test it again. And if you really think you've got something new and unique, freaking go for it, man, because that's your chance. It's, your window will close pretty quickly. That's great advice. That's freaking great advice. go for it. I like that. Freaking go for it. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. So is there anything else that you want to make sure that our listeners hear or um, should know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My final thought, uh, again, having from spent, having spending um, five years researching fandom, why people become fans of something is that fandom is for everybody. The idea of growing fans of a business it's not just for athletes and, and artists. It's for everyone. It's for nonprofit organizations. It's for B2B companies. It's for commodity businesses. It's for doctors, for lawyers. Um, it's for everybody. And that was something that was really remarkable to us that we were finding that, you know, just noticing walking down the street that people wear ball caps and t-shirts with logos of all kinds of different organizations, nonprofits and B2B companies even. People put stickers on their laptop computer of all different kinds of companies um, or have water bottles <laughs> from, right, from right. all kinds of different companies right. or bumper stickers or even mm -hmm. tattoos. And so, um, you know, I sometimes get pushback on the idea of fanocracy because people say, oh, sure, maybe that works, you know, if you're a rock band, or maybe that works if you're a <laughs> consumer brand, but it doesn't work for me because I'm, ah, uh, and then they create the, ex blank. the yep. excuse of why it's not going to work for them, yeah. but it does work for everyone. So um, that's what I'd like to leave people with. Love it. That's some Excellent. great, that's some great advice for sure. Excellent. Cool, David. Well, I'll tell you what, what's the best place for people to connect with you or to find Fanocracy right now? Fanocracy, www.fanocracy.com. Um, we own the URL. Um, yes. I wanted to, I wanted a book title that I could own, but that I didn't want to um, exert ownership over. What I mean by that is um, I don't have a trademark on it. I don't have a, a R with a circle around it. Mm -hmm. um, it's out there for the for the world to use that term that idea um but i do own the url so fan, uh, fanocracy.com to learn much more about the book i have some free stuff up there and on the on the socials i'm dm scott dmscott -T -T. awesome 
Awesome. Awesome. We'll put them in the show notes. Agreed. Thanks for making time today, David. You got it. Thank you, Remington. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. Post it, tweet it, gram it, email a friend. Give the gift of knowledge to someone you know that could benefit from it. And if you really loved it, please consider leaving a rating and written review on your podcast player of choice. And as always, go to wayfindinggrowth.com for resources and past episodes. Remember, we're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Thank you for listening to Wayfinding Growth.